Be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed as they'll be going up to the youth room. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse by verse study. Be seated this, be seated this, Hebrews. So if you'll turn to He, be seated this, be seated this, we'll begin at verse 8, Hebrews, of course. Be seated this, be seated this, Testament right before the epistle to James. So Hebrews chapter 11 will begin at verse 8. It's been a wonderful study, um, it's been a tremendous blessing. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, as we were concluding chapter 10, that in verse 36, the writer of Hebrews would say to those Hebrew Christians, keep in mind that the Hebrew Christians were the initial readers in the first century that this letter is written to. It's written to us as well. Um, but uh, they would uh, be told in chapter 10, you have a need for endurance. And they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. If you uh, had that background of Judaism, you were a Jew, you converted to Christianity, your family would have a funeral for you. You'd be persecuted by your brethren. You, you lost those relationships. And, and that's what the writer of Hebrews has been writing about as we end at chapter 10 and, and the great struggles that they have with sufferings. So they come and they plunder your goods. They, they were coming and taking their possessions. You're a reproach. You're going through tribulations. And me, myself, you've had compassion on me in my chains. And so after exhorting them to uh, concerning endurance, and that's what we need to be exhorted in as well, and, and what the old prophet Habakkuk had declared, that the just shall live by faith, and as we open up chapter 11, the definition of faith was given to us. Again, I'll, I'll give you that definition in verse 1. Faith is the substance, or that is the realization of things hoped for, and the evidence, or that is the confidence of things not seen. It is believing and trusting in God who He is declared in His Word, and believing in the promises of God, even though we wait for those promises to come. I put my faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. By faith, I know that we are justified, that doctrine of justification, by faith alone in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I have the uh, promise of heaven that awaits, the hope of heaven. And when, when we say that, say that word hope, it means not that I hope I go to heaven, but it's a certainty that heaven awaits for me. That's what's been promised to me in his word. I have faith that God will bring the promises that he has for me to pass. So you have need to endure. You are to live by faith, not by the old covenant, not by the animal sacrifices, putting yourself under the law, uh, but you are to put yourself under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on Calvary's cross and rising from the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as we are told to endure, in this life, we need that encouragement. So they began to look at chapter 11 last week. We began to read about um, those in the Old Testament that endured. They went through persecutions. They went through sufferings. They went through difficult times. It was Abel that was killed by his brother Cain. It was Enoch that walked with God for 300 years, and then he was no more. It was Noah that was told by God to build an ark, and so he was a preacher of righteousness, knowing that judgment was going to come on the world in a flood, and he endured all those years in building the ark and, and declaring righteousness to a world that was full of wickedness and sin was abounding and, and violence. And, and these examples here, 
is encouraging them, the initial reader, and it should encourage us as well. So we want to continue to look at that, the examples of faith, starting where we left off again at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And in verse 10 we read, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So a lot of us were familiar with the story of Genesis chapter 12, that God came to Abraham and said, Get out of your country, which we know was the Ur the Chaldeans. It was that area of Mesopotamia. Uh, it was uh, that area today which is called Iraq. You're to leave your country, you're to leave your family, your father's house, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And by faith, Abraham, called Abram at that time, he would pack up and he would leave. Now, it was interesting because I just kind of picture Abraham going to his wife, Sarah, and saying, Sarah, pack up, we're going to move. God spoke to me that uh, we're going to go to a place where he's going to show us. And she's wondering, well, where are we going to go? I don't know. He said he's going to show us that. Can you imagine, wives, if your husband came home and said, God spoke to me and we're to pack up and leave, and, and you're asking, where are we going? I don't know. He'll show it to us. So it took real faith as you kind of think it through for Sarah as well to go with her husband. As they would leave, they left the place of where their family was, and they demonstrated their faith by leaving and obeying God's voice. And the promise was given that you're going to be the father, Abraham, of a great nation, and I'm going to bless your name, and I'll bless you and make your descendants many. And Abraham was one. He, he dwelt in tents, uh, along with Isaac, his son, and Jacob, uh, that would, uh, as the covenant would go from Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to then Moses, and, uh, or Jacob had 12 sons, that is, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't have a permanent home. Uh, the only land that Abraham owned was a burial plot that he bought for his wife Sarah in Genesis chapter 23. But I want to draw attention here to, to verse 10 that we read, that Abraham in faith, having faith, looked forward to that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he was looking forward to that time when God would build that permanent home, the new Jerusalem that we read about there in the book of Revelation, the city where all of us are going to dwell in, that we're going to, to be together with the Lord for all eternity, Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, the, the new heaven, the new earth. And in the meantime, they were dwelling in tents, understanding that they were just pilgrims and strangers in this land. And one day, that they're going to have a permanent home in heaven. I think it's important for us as Christians that we understand and keep in mind that we're just pilgrims and strangers that are passing through. That This world is not our home. When I go over to somebody's house, they, they invite you over. You know this to be true, that... They are hospitable, they try to make you feel comfortable, but it's not your home, is it? I don't go over to somebody's house that I've been invited over and just kick my shoes off and put my feet up on the couch and begin to read the newspaper 
and go through the refrigerator, you know, looking for something to snack on and start turning on the TV and going through the channels. We don't do that because it's not our home. And this world is not our home. And we as Christians, that I believe every Christian should long for heaven, that we should long for our permanent home. As Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And to keep in mind what Paul wrote as he was writing to the Philippian believers, he said that our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when I talk to Christians, I get the, the feeling that they're so comfortable with this world. And it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things. It doesn't mean that, that you know, we go through life all sour and dour and all of this, but we just don't feel comfortable in this world. We go through the trials. We go through the difficulties. It's all part of this world. We are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And John in his epistle says we're not to have a love for the world. In other words, we love those in the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But the world's system, the world's way, you know, we're so enamored with the world. Because this is not our home. Heaven is going to be our home. And it's going to be eternal. This is just temporary. And just as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob dwelt in tents, in faith they looked forward to heaven even though they didn't see it. They knew that it was a promise that God had given to them. It is a promise that God has given to me and to you. And we don't see heaven, but I have faith in what God's word declares, that there's going to be a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I can't wait for that time. I know that each day that I have, that the Lord desires for me to continue to serve him, to continue to be used of him. I want to be a blessing to others. Uh, I want to uh, continue just uh, being in the place where God wants me to be, but I also look forward to going home and being with him. I look forward to, the, you know, uh, going and, and, and the rewards that we have in Christ and what we have done for Christ. I look so forward that we're going to rule and reign with him in, in eternity, and, and um, we're going to rule and reign when he comes, Jesus, and establishes his kingdom. So all these wonderful promises that we have that, that we are going to receive because God's word declares it. And in the meantime, we are to endure, knowing that those promises will come to pass. And verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So Sarah, she really is a remarkable woman in the scripture. The promise given to her husband, Abraham, which would include her since she would bear a child, and it would be Abraham and Sarah that they would bring in the heir the promise of God uh, to be a great nation. Born to them would be Isaac, and, and they would have descendants as they were promised that is going to number the stars of heaven. And you might recall that in chapter 6, verse 15, that the writer of Hebrews makes reference to Abraham after he patiently endured, he attained the promise. Well, Sarah patiently endured as well. Now, when she was 65 years old, that initial promise was made to her and to Abraham in chapter 12. And the years pass, and the years pass, and finally, you know, Sarah's not, um, you know, she's still barren, she, she uh, is not born a child and a son and 
So she says, listen, husband, Abraham, we need to do something about this. We need to take matters into our own hands. We need to come up with a plan. So why don't you take my maidservant, Hagar, and have a child, a son with her, and that'll be the promise. That'll be the heir. So Abraham agreed to it. And, of course, he did that, and born was Ishmael. And as Ishmael was born, the Lord came to Abraham and said, Listen, this is not the, the promise. This is not the child which the covenant is going to pass through. The child is going to come from you and from Sarah. Now, that's very important for us to understand because as we journey through life, sometimes when we think, Lord, this isn't happening, a promise that you gave to me that I read in your word, and it's becoming hard, we're wondering if God is going to bring it to pass. So what do we do? We end up coming up with a plan ourselves, don't we? We can think that, God, I'm going to give you a hand. I'm going to make this happen. We're, we're going to, to come up with the plan. We're going to carry it through. And it ends up being a work of the flesh. And that's what Abraham and Sarah had did at that time. Uh, as in chapter 16, Abraham has a son with Hagar. It was a work of the flesh. No, Abraham, the promise that I gave to you, you're going to have a son, you and Sarah. So in Genesis chapter 17, God tells Abraham at the age of 99 that Sarah is going to bear a son. She was 89. And it says that Abraham, that he laughed in his heart, and shall a child be born to a man who is 100 and Sarah who is 90? And she shall, uh, shall, she, shall she bear a child? Oh, that Ishmael shall live. Oh, that Ishmael shall live. In other words, how can this be? Why don't you just let Ishmael be the heir, the work of my flesh, who was not the child of faith? I'll speak for myself, but there's been times in my life where I said, Lord, why don't you just let this be? The work of my flesh, my plan, my efforts, let it live. Let it be the promise or the fulfillment of the promise. Recognize the work of my flesh. And the Lord says, no. And in Genesis chapter 18, God told Sarah, you're going to have a son, Sarah. And Sarah laughed within herself. It was a laugh of doubt. It was a laugh of unbelief. After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being also old? And the Lord responded by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? You see, faith says nothing is too hard for you, Lord. And it may seem impossible with us, but with the Lord, nothing is impossible. And he is able to bring that promise to pass. That I know that as I've gone through life, that sometimes I think, Lord, this has got to be too hard for you. How are you going to work this out? I want to know how it's going to work what the result's going to be, what's the plan here, what's going to happen a week from now, what's going to happen two months from now, six months from now, right? We want to know what the plan is. At least I do. And I can get anxious, and I become, you know, one that's thinking, Lord, I don't know if you can perform this, when he's able to perform what he said that he's going to do. And that's a promise that he gives us in Scripture. And so what I end up doing is coming up with my own plan. And the Lord says, listen, one day at a time. I want you to take one day at a time living in faith. And I want you to come back and see me tomorrow. And I'm going to lead you each and every day. 
And even as Abraham was led, that I'm going to show you the place where you're going to go, he, he just obeyed God's voice, and the Lord brought him there to, to the land of Canaan, where he began to work in Abraham and Sarah's life. Sometimes we wonder, where is this going to end up? And the Lord eventually will show it to you when he's ready to reveal it to you. It's kind of like Philip in the book of Acts. You know, the Lord doesn't always say what's going to happen, you know, in the days ahead, exactly what the end result is going to be. He tells us to live for him day after day, trust in him, to rest in his promises. Philip, I want you, as revival was breaking out in Samaria, and he was being used big time, I want you to leave Samaria, I want you to go to Gaza, to the desert. And Philip did. There's no one in Gaza. If you've ever been to that area of Israel and Gaza, it is desert. There was no one there. And finally, as Philip is there, just obeying the Lord, here comes the Ethiopian eunuch that is in a chariot reading Isaiah chapter 53 and wondering, who's this speaking of? It was speaking of Messiah, and Philip was used to minister to him, to give him the gospel. He received the gospel, got saved, he got baptized, would take the gospel to Ethiopia at that time. God works in ways that we don't always think that he should work in this way or in the timing that we think that he should. But his ways are perfect, and his timing is perfect. So here is Sarah, she's struggling with this, and, and it's a, a laugh of doubt of, 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 you know, uh, of, you know, just being weak in her faith and, and wondering, Lord, how's this going to happen? Well, Genesis chapter 21, Sarah has a son, just as God promised, and then Sarah would say, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. This time it's not a laugh of doubting or unbelief, it's a laugh of faith. And in those years that they endured, they patiently endured, put their faith was not perfect, was it? It faltered at times, and it was weak at times, just as it can be with us. It reminds me of that story of Mark chapter 9, <clears throat> that Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And there was a boy that was vexed with this demon. It was horrible. He's foaming at the mouth. He's throwing himself in the fire. He, he's throwing himself in the water. Um, he, he, it just seemed so hopeless. And the disciples that were waiting for Jesus could not cast this demon out of him. So this boy's father comes to Jesus and says, Can you help me? And Jesus said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And that father, with tears in his eyes, said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And there are times in our lives where we hear the promises of God, and we hear his voice. And I know that nothing's too hard for you, and I end up laughing. There's a laugh of doubt and unbelief, and my faith begins to falter. And I have to do what that father did in that story recorded to us in Mark's narrative that he would say that I believe but Lord please help my unbelief and as Hebrews chapter 4 declares to us that we can go to him to his throne in time of need to receive grace and mercy and that's 
why he's called the compassionate high priest who's sympathetic with us because he knows that we can falter and become weak and we come to the Lord in our own weaknesses and doubting and we cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us and then the Lord does have compassion on us and he helps us like he did that man in that story to strengthen our faith to where it goes from a laugh of doubting to a laugh of belief just like it did with Sarah. And knowing that he's going to bring those promises to pass. We continue reading in verse 12. Therefore from one man, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky of multitude. Innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. It came to pass, just as the Lord said. It happened. The promise was given to Abraham. And even when it seemed like it was an impossible thing, a man a hundred years old having a son, and God is true and his word is true. And we continue in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So Abraham and Sarah, they went through plenty of difficulties and challenging times that we read about there in the book of Genesis. And listen, this is important, verse 15. If Abraham and Sarah, their focus and faith was on the world, verse 15 says they would have returned back to Abraham's father's house. You see, that can happen with us. I doubt God's word. I, I, I begin to focus on the world. I'm going to do it the world's way. Listen, because I'm not walking by faith. I got my eyes off the Lord. And what happens with Christians is they end up going back to the world's way, to the old hangouts, the temptations. They came out of Egypt, and the Lord said, now that you've come out of Egypt, don't go back to Egypt. They come to the border of the promised land. The Lord gave them the promise that I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. I'll drive out the inhabitants. I'll give you victory. They go and send spies in. They come back and say, we can't go in the promised land. There's giants in the land. There's large cities, and, and we're but grasshoppers in their sights, and they're going to gobble us up. We're going to be defeated. Our children are going to die out there in the wilderness. And the Lord had given them a promise. And because they continued in disobedience and unbelief, as we saw in chapter 4, they didn't have that rest. You see, I can say I trust in the Lord, but I'm not really resting in Him. And the promise is given to me. And as we face the giants of our lives, as, as we go through those difficulties, what can happen is, is that we get so focused on that and we begin to turn to the world's way and the world's answers and we begin to go slowly so back to Egypt as they were crying out, Moses, we need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back to Egypt. It was easier back then. This is too hard. And they had forgot, though, that Egypt had them in bondage. And they were under the hot sun baking bricks and under the blistering, you know, uh, taskmaster's whips that were on their backs. They forgot about that. And we can forget about how the world brought us into bondage and just the discouragement and defeat and depression and all of this. And we didn't have any hope. Don't go back. 
Put your faith in him. And I think the difficult thing can be for us is that we do trust in him. Oh, Lord, but I'm not really resting. And they didn't enter into that rest, as we saw in chapter 4, because of unbelief and disobedience. And we won't enter into that rest that he has for us as well. So in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, and concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, which, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is amazing here. Abraham not only showed incredible faith in waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, we just saying surrender all. That's what Abraham did, because he was the one that heard the Lord, as the Lord in Genesis chapter 22, he comes to Abraham, he says, as he tested Abraham, starts out chapter 22, Abraham, yes, Lord, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the place that I'm going to show you and offer him up as a sacrifice for me. And as you read that chapter, it was Abraham and Isaac. They took a three-day journey to the mountain of Moriah. And Abraham would say to his servant, that you stay here, me and Isaac are going to go up on the mountain and worship, and we will come back to you, is what you read. Not, I will come back to you, but we will come back to you. And Abraham was already expressing that faith in God. And so with the wood of the sacrifice on the back of, of Isaac, and, and they begin to walk up that hill, and, and there's Abraham with a knife in one hand and a torch in the other hand. Isaac looks over to his dad and says, uh, you got the knife, you got the, the fire, I got the wood of the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham would say that God will provide himself the lamb for the sacrifice. As they walked up to the top of Mount Moriah, it would be Abraham that built that altar. He would lay down Isaac on that altar. And you wonder what was going through his mind. What we see here that it tells us, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by God, that as he was being obedient to the Lord, the Lord testing him, that he thought, well, God, uh, I'm going to sacrifice him. The promise has come through me through Isaac, it, that he's the heir, that we're going to be a great nation that numbers the stars in, in the sky, seashores, the sand on the seashores in, in multitude. And Isaac hadn't had any sons or children at that time. He wasn't even married. So he thought, as it says here, that he is going to sacrifice his son. God's going to raise him up even from the dead because he made a promise to me. He made a promise to me. And as Abraham was about ready to plunge that knife into Isaac, you know the story. That the angel of God, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham in verse 12 of chapter 22. Stop, Abraham. Don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son, read it, from me. And there was a ram that was in, caught in a thicket, and they would sacrifice the ram. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. 
And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. You remember if you were here, I believe last week, I made reference to Jesus, the religious leaders in John chapter 8 were upset at Jesus. Who gives you the authority to do the things that you do? Where's your authority come from? And, and here, as Jesus was talking to them, my authority comes from above, from my father. They're saying, well, we're Abraham's descendants. They boasted in that. And Jesus said, well, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then they got even more upset at him, and they said, you're not but 50 years old. You're saying that you saw Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was declaring. He was declaring deity. Stay with me. Because... I think that Jesus there in John chapter 8 was talking about Abraham was glad to see my day. Genesis chapter 22. The angel of the Lord being a Christophany an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And Abraham not only looked in faith to God raising his only son. But you see in your seed Abraham all the nations will be blessed. Talking about Messiah. You did not withheld your only son from me not from the lord but from me because the lord was there and it was a picture of what would take place two thousand years later as jesus took the wood of the sacrifice on his back god's only begotten son and he would walk up that same exact hill to the top of the mountain called mount moriah two thousand years later it was called Golgotha in the hebrew tongue it was called Mount Calvary. And it was the place where the Lord provided. There's only one place, mountain, that the Lord provided. That's Mount Calvary. He provided for our forgiveness and salvation and relationship access with the Father. And again, it would be Paul the Apostle writing about Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4, that he did not waver at the promise of God uh, through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Please always remember this. What God has promised, he is able to perform. You trust in him. He's proven his love for you. He's going to keep his word to you. And then in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So summing up the patriarchs, when you look at the life of Jacob, very interesting. So the promise goes from Abraham through Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob, when he was born, of course, he was a twin. And when Rebekah was, was pregnant, that there was a warring going on. And she inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, you got twins, you got two nations. There's Esau, who was the older, who would be born first, and then Jacob. And it was told to Rebekah that the older shall serve the younger. So here comes Esau. His name means Harry. Had hair all over him when he was born. So they named him Harry, Esau. He was a man's man. He liked to hunt and all this. Here comes Jacob, and he comes out holding on to the heel of, of Esau, his brother. And so they called him heel snatcher, or Jacob. It also means conniver. And that's the way Jacob lived his life. 
always planning, always plotting, always coming up with something. He was very resourceful. He would make a great salesman. And, and Jacob, he, he knows that his brother, who's a hunter, a man's man, you know, always hunting game, he, he was one that uh, Esau, as the scripture says, was very carnal, though. And so Jacob comes up with the plan. I'm going to get his birthright uh, by offering a pot of stew. And that's what Esau did. He fell for it. Then when it came to receiving the blessing from his father Isaac, that Rebekah gets a hold of the news that he's about ready, Isaac, my husband, to give Esau the blessing. So she comes up with a plan for Jacob to go in and deceive his father, who couldn't see very well, and just tell him that you're Esau, and you'll receive the blessing. And that's what happened. And then when Esau comes back, to receive the blessing, all of a sudden it says that Isaac trembled within himself. And I have blessed Jacob, and indeed he shall be blessed. And Isaac then would bless Esau, and you shall serve your brother, just as it was revealed in Genesis 25 to Rebekah. And it was Jacob that at that time had to run for his life from Esau. I was so mad at his brother. I'm going to kill your brother. He goes to Pandanaran. He's there for 20 years. He meets his match with Uncle Laban that he sees there. They're always going back and forth and planning and plotting. And finally, Laban says, Jacob, you got to go. You got to take your wives, Leah and Rachel. You got to take all your children, all your flocks. You need to leave. Don't come back. If you come back, I'll kill you. So here comes Jacob. He's coming back to Canaan, back home. All of a sudden, he gets word Esau is coming at him with 400 men, and he's thinking, I'm in big trouble. I can't go backwards. I can't go forward. He always had a plan. He always seemed to find a way to get out of whatever situation he was in, and he finds himself at the river Jabbok. He sends his family away. He's all alone, and the Lord sneaks up on him. Genesis chapter 32 begins to wrestle with him. And he's wrestling with the Lord all night long. And finally the Lord touched the, the socket of his hip and it came out of joint, which would be very painful. And the Lord asked him, what's your name? The Lord knew his name. But he had to say, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel snatcher. I'm the deceiver. Now your name is going to be called Israel. Listen. Maybe you're here this morning and you're at the Brook Jabbok. You always got a plan, always trying to figure things out. I'm going to do it my way. If I can solve the problem, the situations, if, if I can make it happen, I'm going to happen. And then all of a sudden we will find ourselves at the Brook Jabbok where we can't go forward, we can't go backwards, and we're wrestling with the Lord. And it is through the brokenness of our lives that he says, I don't want you to be Jacob. I want you to be called Israel, governed by God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're wrestling with the Lord. It's okay, because I know he's going to win. And I also know that he desires to bring you to that place of real submission and brokenness. And it tells us here that, that Jacob had to lean on his staff because he walked with the limp. His walk was not the same. And the Lord wants to bring us to a point where we learn to lean on him and trust him and quit always trying to figure things out and come up with our own answers and intellect and togetherness and resourcefulness. 
And to simply say, I want to be Israel, governed by God. Sometimes it's kind of a painful process. But there's such blessing as we do that and allow him to work in our lives. Because not only has he given us life, but an abundant life. And he wants us to rely on him and trust in him and rest in what he has declared to us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these examples of faith that we can look at and learn from so much. So valuable to us to encourage us to endure, to trust you, to rest in your promises, that that which you have promised you are able to perform. So, Lord, I pray for us that we would, that as we read your ways and your promises given to us, that we would say, yes, Lord, they are true. Egypt, the world's just going to rip us off and hold us in bondage. The world will rip you off when the Lord wants to bless. Will you trust in him? Will you believe his word given to you? Don't be a Jacob. Allow him to change your name to Israel. I want to be governed by you, Lord. And there are challenges that you face and difficulties, but knowing that what you have promised, you're able to perform it. Father, I pray if there's any of us struggling in that area, they would know that you are true and faithful, that we can call out to you, our compassionate high priest in time of need, even in the honesty of our hearts, and say, Lord, help me. Lord, just help me. And I pray for those who are feeling that right now. I just pray that, Lord, those who are wrestling with you, that you're so faithful, and through the wrestling, that you would speak, even if it comes through the brokenness of our lives, that we end up yielding to you and trusting in you, being governed by you in every way. Pray that we would just look to you and again our hearts would be nothing less, not holding back. Lord, day by day walking with you. I may not see the outcome, but I know that you are true and your word's true and your promises. And I'm just a stranger and a pilgrim passing through. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that you've never made a decision for Jesus, that salvation comes by faith in him alone, that you are a sinner, we've all sinned, that separated us from God, and that's why Jesus went to the cross, to die for your sins. And as you come in faith, trusting and believing in who he is, the Son of God, and what he did for you, dying on the cross and rising from the grave and sitting at the right hand of the Father, you shall be saved. Will you do that? If that means anything to anyone here this morning, you pray, Jesus, I come to you, and I am a sinner, I confess it. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. You're speaking to my heart through your word. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I thank you for dying for me. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for being my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for, uh, Lord, bringing me spiritual life. 
in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, as Pastor Jim's up front here, the prayer team's up front, tell them the decision you made. We want to bless you and encourage you in every way. But Lord, as we go our way, we look so forward to Vacation Bible School. Help us prepare for that. Bless the meetings today. Lord, as we get ready for uh, a holiday weekend, help us get done all the things that we need to this week, but keep our eyes on you, Lord, and not to focus on all the problems and as hard as it can be in challenges, and, but to focus on you day by day. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything, Pastor Jim's here to pray with you, the prayer team to pray with you in that way. Ladies, don't forget, sign up for the, the breakfast. We'd love to have you there. And then also um, the VBS things that are there. You can register your kids, by the way, at the table or online, calvarychapelgreeley.com. Travis, close this.